This is the Kol Hadash Podcast. Kol Hadash is a secular humanistic Jewish congregation in the northern suburbs of Chicago. Today is September 10th, 2018. This morning, Rabbi Adam Shalom was recorded live at the North Shore Unitarian Church delivering his second High Holiday Sermon of 5779. Rabbi Shalom continues to explore the theme of either versus and by reflecting on us or them and how we can have both us and them. Esau has good reason to be angry. Even though he is first born just before his twin brother Jacob, mother Rebecca loves Jacob better. Once when Esau arrives home starving from a hunt, Jacob bargains Esau's birthright for some stew. And when Isaac lies blind and sends Esau to catch venison, Jacob and Rebekah trick Isaac into giving Jacob the firstborn blessing meant for Esau. So Esau is mad. He cries, he threatens to kill Jacob, and then he gets even with his parents. When Esau saw that, Jacob, that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent Jacob off to Padan Aram to take a wife from there, commanding him, you shall not take a wife from among the Canaanite women, and that Jacob obeyed his father and mother and had left, Esau realized that Canaanite women displeased his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and married, in addition to the wives he had, Mahalat, the daughter of Ishmael. Take that, mom and dad. Jacob becomes Israel, father of the Hebrew nation, while Esau's line detours into the wider world of non-Jews. In rabbinic commentary, Esau is the quintessential non-Jew, physical, crude, indifferent to Jewish pieties, fighting Jacob. Esau is Rome. Esau is Christendom, Dar al-Islam. As medieval sage Rashi put it, it is known that Esav Sonei Yaakov, Esau, hates Jacob. For centuries, this message was clearly understood. Beware the strangers. Do not marry out. They hate us. When push comes to shove, it will be us or them. Through centuries of persecution, this Jewish suspicion was often reasonable. But what about today? This Rosh Hashanah in 2018, can we go beyond the or? Can we try us and them? Last night, we saw that our best self is not me alone in a choice between me or we. We better understand ourselves and realize our potential if we accept me and we. The same is true for understanding our group and its development. Is the Passover Seder celebrating Jewish freedom, freedom modeled on a Roman feast, complete with reclining? Yes. Is hummus Israeli or Lebanese, ours or theirs? Yes. I once went to a grocery store, and they were advertising a jalapeno hummus. <laughs> the label on it was south of the border. And I thought, which border are they thinking? <laughs> And yes, there was a sombrero on the logo. <laughs> now, ours and theirs makes more sense than ours or theirs when it comes to culture, music, languages. Cultures have always mixed. 
we created Yiddish by speaking German to our medieval neighbors. New? What else is new? Our question today of us or them is more visceral, more tribal, more exclusive, perhaps more dangerous. In Brooklyn today, you can find super-duper extra-glot kosher pizza, sushi, even Chinese food. And the Orthodox patrons at these restaurants never claim that Moses invented the egg roll. But Mary, an Italian, an Asian, one of them, never. A man once came home to his mother, his old world Jewish mother, and said to her, Mom, I want to introduce you to my new bride. She's Native American. Her name is Running Deer. The mother extends a grave hand to him and says, I'm sitting Shiva. Now, the Jews are not the only group that grapples with this question of us or them. In 1967, when the United States Supreme Court in Loving versus Virginia overturned bans on interracial marriage, 17 states still had those laws on the books. In the year 2000, when Alabama finally removed the prohibition, the last state to do so, 40% voted against removing it. Now, lest you think it's backwater Alabama alone, nationwide opposition to interracial marriage in 2013 was 11%, meaning over 30 million people. Part of an us or them mentality means keeping the lines between us and them clear. The more Spanish spoken in the United States, the closer the white population gets to being less than a majority, the more integrated neighborhoods and universities and families become, they become inseparably part of us. So when a cereal company uses an interracial family to sell Cheerios, the trolls come out. And lest you think that Jewish suspicions of mixing are only the response of a precarious diaspora minority, in Israel, where Jews are 80% of the population, there is a de facto ban on Jewish intermarriage. Orthodox rabbis, Muslim imams, and Christian clergy are in charge of legal marriage. There is no civil marriage, and no civil marriage means no interreligious marriage. Hannah Arendt, the German-American Jewish intellectual, got into big trouble in the 1960s by comparing Israeli marriage rules to the 1935 Nuremberg Laws, which also banned intermarriage. You can guess why she got in trouble. Nevertheless, Recently, there have been public protests outside of Arab Jewish weddings and the removal of a novel about such a relationship from the Israeli high school curriculum. There were stories this summer about Israeli Arabs trying to join swimming pools and public protests in the city of Afula against selling a house to an Arab family. Swimming pools, integrated housing, sounds sadly familiar here in Chicagoland, even right here in Deerfield. In 1959, an integrated housing development in Deerfield split the community. There is a plaque out there in our lobby of the North Shore Unitarian Church that celebrates the minister of the church and members here who argued for integration. I wonder if there's a plaque about the episode at Mitchell Park, which was the site of the planned development. Today, Deerfield is still 95% white, and Highland Park, excluding Highwood, is 91% white, both more than Lake Forest, which is 90%, and the northwest suburbs in the 80s or better. 
This is why some North Shore residents think of Chicago area African Americans or Latinos as them, but not us. And the us of Israeli Jews, some Israeli Jews, excludes Israeli Arabs. Esau was a man of the fields, while Jacob dwelled in tents. They did not dwell together. The culprit is lived experience. If you don't meet them, know them, commute and work with them, socialize with them, then them is not a part of us. On the brighter side, the world that we live in is very different than even a generation ago. 50 years after interracial marriage became a basic right in the US, one in six new weddings are to someone of a different race or ethnicity. And one in 10 married couples are an intermarriage of some kind. In 1967, only 20% approved of interracial marriage. Today, it is 90%. Not perfect, but much better. As far as, Jewish, as far as Jewish intermarriage, in many corners of Jewish life, the line between us and them is very fuzzy. If I told that sitting Shiva joke to an audience of people only under 30, they might not even get the joke. Not because they don't know that a Shiva follows a funeral, they know that, but because the absolute rejection of intermarriage is so odd to them. For under 30s, the reform movement has always accepted Jews whose father is the Jewish parent. In their lifetime, the Jewish intermarriage rate has always been 50% or higher, whether or not their parents could find a rabbi to marry them. The fruits of this generation of openness are to be seen in the Jewish and Korean heritage of Rabbi Angela Bookdahl of the 2,300-member Central Synagogue in Manhattan the wider welcoming of interfaith families in reform and now even conservative synagogues, even though we in humanistic Judaism have done so for 50 years. And the fact that I do 20 weddings a year when at his peak our rabbi emeritus Daniel Friedman did over 100. Back then he was one of the only rabbis in Chicagoland willing to celebrate intermarriages and today I am one of several. Through adoption, through conversion, migration and intermarriage, the faces of the Jewish family are more diverse than ever. What does it even mean to look Jewish anymore? Who is one of them and who is one of us? Jacob and Esau have reunited in the womb. For many American Jews today, it can only be us and them because they are us. And yet, tribalism is a stubborn instinct. This summer, you may have read that House Speaker Paul Ryan's genetic ancestry came back as 3% Ashkenazi Jewish. Many people on social media demanded a recount. <laughs> Some examples from Twitter. Paul Ryan finding out he has Jewish ancestry is worse than the Inquisition. From author Ayelet Waldman. Yo Jews, let's take up a collection to refund him his 3%. <laughs> Or The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Haven't the Jewish people suffered enough? <laughs> now, I have no idea what being 3% Jewish means to Paul Ryan himself. Maybe it sparks an interest in exploring that part of his family heritage. And we know that these genetic studies have done that for many individuals, even people who are part of our community. And maybe it provides some party conversation material. I agree with critics of the story who say that essentializing Jewishness into purely a genetic percentage excludes those who would join the Jewish family. 
and marginalizes those with multiple heritages. Rebecca Pierce, a self-described black and Jewish filmmaker, responded, amazing how Paul Ryan can just declare himself Jewish with a DNA test, while Jewish people of color, both by heritage and by choice, have to fight tooth and nail for recognition in our communities every day. However, in most cases, the rejection of Paul Ryan's being a little bit Jewish was not from solidarity with Jews of color. It was a visceral, tribal reaction based on politics. In other words, he can't really be Jewish because he believes X or votes Y. I've heard it plenty in the other direction, when right-wing Jews say that any criticism of Israel means you're a self-hating Jew. Either way, if you don't agree with me, then you aren't a real Jew, or at most, you're a bad Jew. Evidently, the wider Jewish world did not get my memo from last Yom Kippur that we should ban the phrase and the concept of bad Jew. It's wrong when traditionalists use it on liberal Jews, it's wrong when we use it on ourselves, and it's wrong when liberal Jews use it on conservatives. The Jewish tent today may be ideologically wider than we're comfortable with, but to accept that wider family means it will always be some variety of us and them. To borrow from Monty Python's Life of Brian, our Jewish family includes the People's Front of Judea, the Judean People's Front, and even the Judean Popular People's Front, whoever he is. <laughs> Still, there are limits to and. What do we do with a group that refuses to accept us? Maybe sometimes it is us or them because they insist on theming everyone else. There are Islamic radicals who refuse any integration to Western society. A minority of Muslims, to be sure, but one that raises issues of women's rights, children's rights, and what citizenship means. There are the Jewish ultra-Orthodox who reject teaching their children English or owning smartphones to protect them from the trefa outside world. There are anti-Semites who are bold enough today to run for office, like the proud Illinois Nazi Arthur Jones in the 3rd Congressional District. Some of us remember how the Blues Brothers felt about Illinois Nazis. <laughs> These are the subtly bigoted who call the police on minorities doing nothing wrong, sitting in a Starbucks in Philadelphia, having a barbecue in Oakland, California, going door to door as a political candidate in their own district in Oregon, napping in their college's common room to my chagrin at Yale University. These incidents all happened this year and not in Alabama, in very liberal places. These themers are the xenophobic who fear that America is being taken from us and given to them. We'll talk more about this on Yom Kippur when we discuss here and there. All of these groups have an Israel and an Esau, a chosen people and outsiders, an us worthy of protection, and a them they suspect and fear. We are their them. We are modernized, urbanized, secularized, free to think and act and open to change. We are willing to listen to many opinions and we accept and even celebrate diversity. We will replace them and they hate us for it. I think of myself as a realistic optimist. I give people the benefit of the doubt, even forgive them once or twice, try to walk a mile in their shoes, see it from their perspective, cut them some slack for having a bad day. Sometimes Esau does hate Jacob. Real anti-Semitism exists and has consequences. The Jews are not always number one on the bigotry target list, but we are often there. 
America has never supported a major anti-Semitic political party platform. Around 10% of Americans hold clearly anti-Semitic attitudes, which has held steady over recent decades and is much better than the 1960s or earlier. However, today that 10% is bolder, more visible, more confrontational. Perspective makes a big difference. 15 years ago, when I would speak about anti-Semitism, I highlighted that only 10% of Americans are anti-Semitic. Today in my speeches, I point out that 30 million Americans have anti-Semitic attitudes. The numbers haven't changed. 10% equals 30 million. Our perceptions and their public behavior have changed. So what do we do? Do we persist in us and them? Invite them to our Passover seders and high holiday celebrations? Intentionally intermarry into Nazi families to change their attitudes? <laughs> There's an old Yiddish saying, don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out. <laughs> I certainly welcome those outside my group who welcome me. I will dialogue with those who will talk, and the conversation does not always have to be polite. If I can get angry and believe passionately in my values, so can they. I will not love those who hate me. I will not apologize away those who hate others. I am Jewish, and I reject those of my group who treat the other 99.5% of the world as universal Esau, unworthy of respect or marriage. I am white when I buy a house, when I talk to a police officer, when I get a sunburn. And I reject those who hate and fear the non-white other. I am American, the grandchild and great-grandchild of immigrants, and I reject those who would slam the door shut behind themselves. My us is not universal. I am part of the open us, the welcoming us, the tolerant and diverse us of the present, and I hope the future. The closed them, the fearful them, the them of high barriers and rejection and anger, the us or them mentality, those I reject. I am still open and hopeful. Over the centuries, there was little love lost between the Catholic Church and the Jews. It was always an us or them relationship. In fact, Jewish communities sometimes faced forced disputations where a rabbi would debate a priest over who was right, us or them. Miscommunications could abound, as this example demonstrates. There was a forced disputation in the community, and the rabbi is put into the arena to face the chief priest of the town. They are arguing, but of course there are no amplification devices back then, so the audience can only see what is happening. First, the priest says to the rabbi, and the rabbi responds. Then the priest brings out the communion wafer, and the rabbi takes out an apple. And the priest waves his hand in the air, and the rabbi points to the ground. And the priest concedes. He has lost the debate hands down. So they each go back to their communities to explain what happened in the argument. The priest says, well, I began the argument by saying, we believe in the one true God. And then the rabbi responded, well, why do you talk about God as if it were three? And I conceded there was an argument to be had there. And then I said, ours is the God of heaven and earth, 
And the rabbi responded, yes, but what we do in this world matters most. And then I brought out the communion wafer, a symbol of Christ's sacrifice for the church. And he brought out the apple, symbolic of the original sin, saying we are all flawed. And so I had to concede. And the rabbi came back to his community and they said, no, what happened? The rabbi said, well, first he said, you've got to leave in one day. I said, no, you're going to leave. we're going to leave in three days. He said, you're going to get up and get out of here. I said, no, we're staying right here. And then we broke for lunch. <laughs> now, we may laugh at the story today, but in their day, these disputations could be matters of life or death. You know, the line that uh, comedy equals tragedy plus time. But this was the era of the real Spanish Inquisition, not Mel Brooks's musical or the Monty Python sketch that no one expects. 53 years ago, the Second Vatican Council concluded, just two years before Loving versus Virginia legalized interracial marriage, that council's declaration, Nostra Etate, in our times, rejected the claim that Jews were guilty for the death of Jesus. It condemned, quote, hatred, persecutions, displays of anti-Semitism directed against the Jews at any time and by anyone. It created the possibility of a new beginning. When Mel Gibson's bloody 2004 movie, Passion of the Christ, was condemned, some of the condemnation came from the US Conference of Catholic Bishops, who years earlier had published guidelines on how to create a passion play to avoid anti-Semitism and be sensitive to Jewish concerns. In this, they were on our side. In that battle between intolerance and tolerance, it is indeed us and them. We are allowed to disagree. Any interfaith dialogue that agrees all the time is boring. We disagree within parameters. We agree on each other's basic worth, our dignity, our personhood, our right and ability to live our own lives. It is us and them when that defines us. In Genesis, at the end, there is a reconciliation for Jacob and Esau, and maybe too for Israel and the nations. Esau has sworn to kill his brother for his betrayal, and after many years, the brothers meet again. Jacob is fearful, sending many gifts ahead and bowing seven times as he approaches Esau, the angry, physical, violent hunter. The drama is palpable. Esau runs toward Jacob. Esau grabs him. Esau falls on Jacob's neck. And Esau kisses Jacob, and they weep. Now, some rabbinic readers, convinced that Esau has always and will always hate Jacob, imagine that Esau tried to bite Jacob and broke his teeth, a new version of Israel, a stiff-necked people. In this reading, Esau cried from his own pain. Other readers see this moment as genuine reconciliation, an opening of new doors which is possible if circumstances are right. In the world we want, we see Jacob and Esau, Israel and the nations, Jews and everyone, America and humanity, me and we and us and them. Together that larger us faces the them of hatred and exclusion. In here, we say welcome, Baruchim Habaim, blessed are those who have come to be with us. Shana Tova, a happy and healthy new year. Thank you for listening to the Kol Hadash podcast. To learn more, support, and membership to Kol Hadash, visit k
K-O-L-H-A-D-A-S-H dot com. To learn more about Secular Humanistic Judaism, visit shj.org.